0: Welcome to the MattCast. This is a podcast that helps artists to engage the church and the church to engage artists. My name is Matt Anderson. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode. If you have not done so already, please subscribe. Uh, Depending on your platform, a five-star review is extremely helpful. And you can also share the podcast with a friend. We would really appreciate that. And with that out of the way, in light of President's Day, I hope you will enjoy this special episode of the MacCast. Growing up, I never heard of President's Day. Now I know for many of you, that sounds odd. It, it, It sounds as if I was raised in a religious movement in which we never recited the Pledge of Allegiance or sang the Star Spangled Banner, but no, it's just that I was born and raised in the state of Illinois, or as our license plates proudly displayed, the land of Lincoln. So each school year. We never stayed home on President's Day. Our holiday was always February 12th, Lincoln's birthday, regardless of which day of the week it was. Now one does not live in the Prairie State without a full recitation of the life and accomplishments of our 16th president. By the time I graduated high school, I would say I knew a lot more about him than most Americans. So it wasn't difficult to admire him. To be truthful, it wasn't a full treatment of the man for no one is perfect. And in recent years, there has been uh, an element to deconstruct the man in such a way as to almost dismiss all that was done through him. So in a world in which heroes may no longer be allowed, it's so important for us to look back and ask ourselves, what makes a person great? What qualities do they possess and live out that make them worthy of statues? What characteristics can we unearth and then apply to our own lives, whether we're ever famous or not? And so I've decided to take a look at the life of Abraham Lincoln and highlight three characteristics that I think made him a great man. I think the first of those characteristics was Lincoln's determination. Now to say Abraham Lincoln's relationship with his father was complicated, uh, that's an understatement. Thomas Lincoln, Abe's father, lost his wife suddenly after drinking contaminated milk. This happened when Abraham was nine. And if little Abe was hoping to find love and understanding from his father after such a huge loss, he was extremely disappointed. Thomas was a religious but hard and uneducated man. And after remarrying, it has been said by many that he actually favored his stepson over his own son, Abraham. Now, corporal punishment, of course, in that day was certainly the norm. But even for the day, one could say that Thomas was rather cruel to Abraham. He would, quote, slash him for reading when he was supposed to be doing chores. He would slap him when Abe would ask a precocious question of someone or maybe correct a story that Thomas was telling. Abraham was beaten for releasing a bear cub on one occasion who was caught in one of his father's traps. Well, each blow would only widen the gap between father and son. And it would have been easy for Abraham to take the wrong path and use that as a way of doing all the wrong things in life. But Abraham was determined. He was determined to make his own way. He was determined to educate himself. And because of his family's constant moving and financial difficulties, he really only had the equivalent of one year of formal education and possessing a thirst for knowledge. Friends in those days would recall never seeing Abraham without a book in his hand or his pocket. Now, his father, Thomas, didn't necessarily discourage education, even though he had next to none. He was mostly just frustrated when Abraham was so taken with learning and reading that it interfered with his assigned duties. So Abraham determined to have a wide berth of education and understanding, and he used the resources around him to better himself. So he would borrow books from people and newspapers uh, from friends and neighbors. He loved the book Robinson Crusoe, The Tales of the Arabian Nights, Shakespeare, uh, the poetry of Robert Burns. His favorite book was said to be a biography, The Life of Washington, which detailed, although sometimes fictitiously, (laughs) the life of our first president. It would be a book he would refer to often throughout the course of his life. He would also study the core elements of learning, uh, the appropriate use of words and writing and and critical thinking and the ability to vocally express a view clearly and convincingly. Lincoln read books on all these subjects. He would also listen to traveling politicians and preachers who would come through town and imitate some of their rhetorical skills. He was a personal master class in self-education. And it's what would eventually propel him into the law. You know, many people from humble beginnings often aspire to greatness. And Lincoln was no different. He saw the physical, emotional, and the financial struggles of his father. And he was determined to do different, to be better. Now, a point I think should be added here. There are many who grow up determined to, quote, not be like someone in their upbringing. And I would say that that is not enough. At some point, your life has to shift from not being something to actually deciding who or what we will be if we are to break any chains that we've inherited in life. But he was a determined man and nothing was going to stop him. I think a second quality of Abraham Lincoln that sort of formed his greatness was perseverance. Let's face it, we all endure wins and losses in our lifetime, but it's probably fair to say that Abraham Lincoln had more loss than some. Now he left home in 1831 and never looked back but would certainly have his share of ups and downs. His first venture was working in a general store in Illinois. The owner promised Abe that he would eventually be general manager. Well, it never happened because the owner overextended himself and Lincoln lost his job. Something that a lot of us can relate to. The next year, he decided to dip his toe into the political world by running for the Illinois legislature. While being an unknown quantity and running against 12 other competitors, Lincoln finished 8th. Many years later, Lincoln would point out that this would be the last time he lost an election in which he faced the vote of the citizens. He would eventually be elected two years later. But when he experienced that first loss, he shook it off and joined a volunteer militia company And was chosen by his company to be their captain. It was an honor Abraham would hold dear the rest of his life. And it's a part of his life that most of us don't know. That same year, Lincoln began his career in law. Rather than go to law school, he took the same approach as his childhood. He educated himself. He endlessly read books about the law and cases, uh, precedents. He observed court sessions and lawyers litigating. It was the kind of education that Lincoln seemed to prefer, but he also knew he would need something more before he could move forward. In 1833, Lincoln and a business partner opened a general store in New Salem, Illinois. Now Lincoln had no money for his half of the purchase, but he signed a promissory note with one of the previous owners for his share. Now, unfortunately, the other store in town was much bigger and had much more influence, so Lincoln's store did little business, and they had to close their doors. Unable then to pay off his note, his possessions were seized by the sheriff. Then, when his business partner died shortly after with no assets, Lincoln on his own, even though he was not obliged to do so, agreed to take on his partner's debt for the business. It would take him several years to pay that off, and Lincoln would refer to it as, quote, his national debt. But eventually, he paid it off. A couple of years later, Lincoln was in love with a woman named Ann Rutledge. It's a relationship we know little about. We do know that Ann was already engaged to another when they met. We don't know the extent of their romance, but in the summer of 1835, and quite unexpectedly died, and Lincoln was said to be incredibly bereft. However, he had to get back to being a surveyor, which he did to make some money, as well as run for reelection as a state legislator, which he again won in 1836 and 1838 as a member of the Whig Party. Now, by then, the Illinois Supreme Court had licensed him to practice law, And he was a partner in a prestigious law firm in Springfield, Illinois. So once again, Lincoln is bouncing back from his losses. In 1846, he ran for Congress and won. But he was only allowed to serve one term by his party. He would twice attempt to become a U.S. senator for Illinois. However, in those days, senators were not voted on by the people. They were chosen by the state legislatures. So during his first run in 1854, he was campaigning for Whig candidates to be in the state legislature. But because of political maneuvering, he felt he needed to step aside, even though he was leading, but without enough votes. And he did so to make sure a pro-slavery senator wasn't appointed, and another candidate agreeable to more people was appointed senator. Well, he would try again four years later now with the new Republican Party. And he was gunning for Stephen Douglas's seat. Stephen Douglas was a pro-slavery senator and very powerful in Congress. They had a famous series of debates across Illinois. But the Republicans failed to gain control of the legislature, and so Stephen Douglas kept his seat. For Lincoln to that point, he just seemed so close, yet so far. It seemed like two steps forward, one and a half steps back. In 1856, someone had submitted his name at the National Convention to be vice president without his knowledge. In fact, he wasn't even at the convention. Surprisingly, he received almost a third of the votes. But the nod went to another. He was making a name for himself and always had success when the people had a say. Thankfully, in 1860, the nation had their say, and he was elected as President of the United States. The thrill of victory was short-lived, however, as seven states would secede from the Union before he even took the oath of office in March of 1861. And due to very real death threats, he had to be smuggled into Washington secretly by trade. He had not even started, and he was already losing the country and potentially his life. Most notably, his family losses were profound. We already mentioned him losing his mother at the age of nine. After he was married to Mary Todd Lincoln, he lost his second and third children to illness. Eddie died shortly before his fourth birthday in 1850 while Willie died of typhoid fever while Lincoln was president. It is said that neither Lincoln nor his wife, Mary, would ever get over that loss. Unfortunately for the president, he was also presiding over a civil war. Lincoln knew loss on the most intimate and grandiose levels. It's hard to think of someone in public American life who had more opportunities to just quit. Yet he shows one of the amazing qualities of greatness. He persevered. He didn't stay on the canvas. Whenever he was knocked down, he got back up. It might have taken a bit, and I'm sure it was ugly and nasty at times, but Lincoln persevered. And because he did, we all benefited. That's a quality we could all aspire to. So maybe things haven't gone creatively the way you hoped you've put stuff out there and it either hasn't been noticed or it hasn't been received. Are you going to quit? Will that be the sum of you? Even if people don't quite understand what you're doing, will you allow that to stop you? You got to get back off the canvas. Nobody makes it their first time. There are stops and starts along the way. Even those famous novelists whose first novel became a Pulitzer Prize winner, it's not the first thing they ever wrote. There was criticism, there was improvement, there was hard work, and there was perseverance. Maybe you've even sustained personal losses through this. And I certainly don't want to minimize those, but I think those who cared about you the most, if you have lost them, I think they would want to see you still creating and doing what ultimately gives you purpose and joy. It's time to get back up again. It's time to persevere. The final quality of greatness that I see in Abraham Lincoln is his passion, specifically his passion for all people and his reverence for God. As Lincoln found himself in the greatest crisis in our country's history, he was grounded and guided by his overarching respect for God and his belief in others, most notably those who had been enslaved for generations. Lincoln had been raised to oppose slavery by his church-going father. Along with the dispute over the title of his estate, it is why Thomas Lincoln moved his family from Kentucky to Indiana, as Indiana was a free state. And although much of Lincoln's early rhetoric focused on abolitionism, as a politician, to assure the entire North was on board as president, he focused more on maintaining the union of states, as not every northern citizen was anti-slavery. But what is clear throughout his life is that no nation can be honored or blessed of God while enslaving others. Here are two of his quotations. Those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves. And my personal favorite might be, <laughs> quote, whenever I hear anyone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on him personally. Lincoln knew that our country would never be what it could be unless it attempted to truly live by the mission of the Declaration of Independence. I think in Lincoln this was most gloriously achieved by his Emancipation Proclamation, which set free every slave in the Confederacy. Lincoln was never a churchgoer. That may have partially been a response to his relationship with his father, but he certainly was a God-fearing man who understood and often quoted scripture, especially during his early political days. He was often ridiculed for doing so. He once wrote, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how a man could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. During the war, someone asked the president if he felt the Lord was on the Union's side. He said, quote, My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And during his second inaugural address, he boldly proclaimed, Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue, until all the wealth piled by the bondman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether." Lincoln knew he ultimately served at the behest of the Heavenly Father. One of the greatest traits, I think one of Lincoln's great passions, was in bringing people together. He refused to live with animus. He had no enemies, by his expression. He once said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. What a great word for us today. One of the biggest reasons we dislike or, dare I say, hate someone is largely because we don't know them. We only know a persona, we don't know their story. He once wrote Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? He was clearly the right person at the right time for our country, especially when the war was ending. When Nelson Mandela was set free from a South African prison after being held captive by the dominant whites of government for decades and later elected president of the country, he refused to engage in revenge. Though there were those who longed for it and stood ready to exact it, he refused. It was shades of Lincoln who, when the Confederacy surrendered, refused to imprison them or to force the boot of vengeance upon their necks for the costliness of the war. Defeated soldiers were even allowed to keep their weapons. He knew we needed to be a country again. Two days after General Robert E. Lee surrendered the Army of Northern Virginia to Ulysses Grant, thus all but ending the Civil War, a crowd spontaneously gathered outside the White House. They wanted to hear from their president on this suspicious occasion. Lincoln prepared some remarks and spoke them at night to the gathered masses. In that speech, he, for the first time in a public setting, said that part of the reconstruction of our country should involve giving newly freed slaves and all African Americans the right to vote. Among the listeners that night was a Confederate sympathizer, the actor John Wilkes Booth, who remarked to a friend, That is the last speech he will make. He was unfortunately correct, as he would shoot the president in the balcony of Ford's Theater as he watched a play a few days later. It would ultimately take another 100 years before his dream was fully realized. We don't esteem perfect people, for they do not exist. We do not allow statues and grand memorials to deify what is remarkably human. But we thank God for a man who was willing to stand and lead in our country's darkest hour. Today we have an informal but fractured nation. What are we to do? I would say that rather than insisting upon politicians in our cynical world, we must exemplify and represent the same qualities of greatness ourselves. It must come from us. We too must have a passion for people. For Jesus was clear in instructing us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Then illustrated the point by using someone despised as the hero of the story. We too must love people again and not allow the electronic and digital barkers and provocateurs to goad us into shameful acts against perceived enemies. We must have the determination of Lincoln to get to know them better, as he said, and understand their story. No politician can do this for us. We must set our hearts and minds to God and be just as determined as Lincoln to not have enemies. We must be those who heal and not hurt. We must be those who build bridges rather than destroy them. Greatness isn't relegated to people of a certain race or culture or background or financial status or level of education. It is found in people, known and unknown, mostly unknown who determine, like Abraham Lincoln, to go after their desires given to them by God, even if it means being misunderstood by those nearest to us. It is found in people who persevere, who get knocked down from time to time, who dare greatly fail and dare to try again. People who lose and sometimes dearly, like Lincoln, but refuse to stay on the canvas and at the worst will literally die trying. It is found in people who identify and follow their passion, but it's a passion rooted in scriptural principles that loves people generally and helps people specifically a person who loves their enemies and blesses those who curse them, a person who will never stop building bridges rather than tear them down, always looking for the common good and the common decency. This, I pray, is whom we will endeavor to be. Is it any wonder that Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, after witnessing Lincoln's death, tearfully announced, now he belongs to the ages. I want to thank you for being a part of this special edition of the MattCast. Please share this with a friend. We would really appreciate that. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. We hope to see you again soon. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. If you'd like more information about our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.